Welcome back to Talking Acoustics. We've got a very familiar name this week on the podcast, Marion Burgess. Uh, I won't try and give an exhaustive CV for Marion uh, because that would take way too long, but she works at the University of New South Wales. She's been involved in acoustics uh, in Australia for over 40 years. Uh, she sits on a number of uh, standards committees. Um, she's an active member of the Australian Acoustical Society. She's the chief editor of the Society's journal, Acoustics Australia. Um, she's past president of the International Commission for Acoustics uh, and the president of the International Institute for Noise Control Engineering. Uh, so she's uh, seen and done it all, um, in, particularly in terms of academia and acoustics, um, but we'll cover a bit more of that uh, once we uh, get into our conversation. So uh, I think we'll just get straight in. So Marion, how do you explain what you do to someone at a barbecue? Uh, with great difficulty. Uh, I think there's always an interest. As soon as I say I work in noise, um, then that, that pricks up their ears. You know, how, can you, how can you work in noise? And the usual reaction is oh, I've never heard of anybody who, who does it from that point of view. There's always a lot of confusion with audio engineering or you do sound, store, sound installs. Um, so then I talk a bit, bit about going to the environmental noise and that's a very easy way to explain how, you know, if, if we didn't have people working in this area, then uh, noise would be around us all the time and, and there's a goal in environmental noises to try and minimise the noise and similarly workplace. As soon as you start talking about workplace noise, then people say, oh yeah, of course, you know, that's wearing hearing protectors. And you say, yeah, yeah that's right, but a bit more to it than that, you know, we don't really want people to have to wear hearing protectors. Yeah. So that generally opens up the discussion more broadly. Yep. Mm. So you've done a lot of things in your career. Um, I was reading uh, the old EBS uh, experimental oh, building station uh, yes. test manuals uh, recently and, and noticed your name was on the front of that. Oh, yeah. And they're from, I think, before I was born. If I'm... Yes, I know, I know, grey <laughs> <Sorry>. hair. <laughs> so how did, well, how did you get into acoustics in the first yeah. place? Well, I, I, did, I did physics at university and I, I did honours in physics. And in those days, you started university quite young. And so you actually got out of university quite young, not yeah. like nowadays. People are in the, almost the end of their 20s before they finish their, their, their program. So I, um, my first, I didn't didn't know about the area of acoustics at that time as a, a as a career um, and my first interest was in medical acoustics, medical physics as such because I did physics but then I quickly found that I didn't really like that environment and there was a job going at experimental building station in the acoustics facilities there and so I was um, successful in, in getting a job and that happened to be the acoustics and we did the acoustic testing so that's how you know I, I kind of fell into it and, and what, From what physics, was EBS at the... EBS was experimental it was a government station. It was a version, it preceded CSIRO mm -hmm. um, in that it was set up by the post-war reconstruction uh, right. department, I think it was. Um, so in the 1950s, they decided there was going to have to be a big expansion to Australian building. So it was national, um, a big, big expansion to Australian building, and we needed to be able to... Um, manufacture products within Australia, not, not importing mm. uh, techniques, etc. And so there was a, um, the facility there was for testing the performance of modern 
at that time because it was the time when uh, concrete blocks were coming out and uh, more interesting, uh, you know, plasterboard type materials and, and cleverer ways of making plasterboard, etc. And combining it together and cleverer studs would, were just all coming onto the market. So the acoustics facilities, we had um, a reverberation uh, suite and so we tested both sound absorption, sound transmission loss of building materials. But the other sections of it did like fire, fire testing, uh, which was important. There was another one that dealt with uh, construction techniques and joints and all of that type mm -hmm. of thing. So it was, it, I, I, look, I don't know, I think in about the 19... The 1980s, it got absorbed into CSIRO because CSIRO had a facility in Melbourne um, yep. and developed around about that same time. But I, uh, so I, I, I started doing that testing materials um, and then I got a job at the University of New South Wales um, in the School of Architecture. Right. So, so you've gone from Anita physics Lawrence. to sort of, ah, okay, yeah. Yep. So physics, so from physics to architecture and with Anita Lawrence. Um, and because I had the physics background, I was sort of like the tame science type person there. So I had to do heat, light, sound and do tutoring into structural because you sort of, I could, and I used to run remedial maths classes too, which was another interesting component. Um, and then... In the, I had the opportunity for a couple of stints overseas because my husband was posted overseas and so went over to, to Portsmouth um, at one stage and then a second stage I, we were just outside London and so I did some work with the building research establishment which is the UK version yeah. of the place I had come from originally. We came back to Australia and moved to Canberra and I thought oh well this is, um, you know, I'll just sit back and you know enjoy life and it just so happened to be at the right place at the right time because University of New South Wales Canberra campus was just getting going and they had a an anechoate chamber and it, that was in the mechanical engineering school. In Canberra? In Canberra, oh, yes. Okay. So that, um, and that campus is the Defence Force Academy campus. Mm -hmm. So it's all the undergraduate students at that time were military. Uh, mm -hmm. So they had to be accepted into one of the three services. So it was... It was just really getting getting going in the mid eighties, um, and so I just happened to arrive at the right time, at the right place, um, and got involved with that through there. And that was that was good because um, it gave more flexibility because I had been on the academic staff, but then there I was on the research staff, and yep. I was able to do. And that's what I've been able to do over the last few decades is a, some research and some consulting and some teaching, and so it's given me a very diverse experience. Yeah, I, I think you've got a, um, if not unique, a very interesting mix of cross the amount of academic work and then the amount of um, sort of work with journals and societies. Um, Indeed, yeah. You know, I think yes. I think if we Google uh, your name on <laughs> scholarly <Yeah. laughs> search, we'll find a few papers. Yes. What, what, what have you, um, what's your perspective on that? Um, the consulting world versus the academic uh, and research world, how do they sort of sit um, yes, well, I with think, you? I mean, I think um, originally, I think in the consulting world, world the, the goal was to, to get in and get the job done um, in the most efficient and the, most, the quickest way type of thing. But now I, I'm actually quite intrigued to see the larger consulting companies, which are which are really taking a great interest in, in supporting research and trying to come up with more innovative ways of dealing with things, and also making sh not just accepting guidelines because 
in the pastoral guidelines and uh, standards, and that were all done by people who were working in government organisations or universities. That was the major input into uh, the Australian standards and, and the ISO standards. Um, but now, in recent years, I've seen a lot more interest from the consulting community in having making sure that they have a say at the right time and the right place. Mm. Um, into those sorts of documents because you realise how important those documents are because they're setting a framework for either measuring or establishing uh, subsequent guidelines. And so I, I think that's a, that's a big bonus. Um, mm. University research um, really um, has, a, has a different goal in that you, you have to say what you're trying to do but you're not really sure whether you're going to be able to achieve it or not and you might take a few pathways on the way and you might end up in a slightly different position to where you thought you were going to be. Um, whereas of course consulting has to be focused on, on the, mm. the outcome, ultimate outcome. So um, having a uh, sort of a, a slightly more blue sky researchy component within a, an acoustic consulting company I think is, mm. is a very valuable um, to the consulting company into the future. And I think it took time until the companies got large enough to be able to do that. Yeah. Small companies yeah. can't do that. Yeah. And it's only now that you're seeing larger companies um, that have the scope and the capacity to do that. It seems to me that there's the blurring of some of those. What was a distinct consulting versus mm. research uh, or academia um, seems to be blurred now. Like within, mm. within Marshall Day, we have various, like we do a lot of R&D and there are sort of paths to to do things related to a particular consulting activity or a particular mm. product that we're trying to sell. But there's also streams where we go, well, let's spend some money on this thing. We don't actually know what the application is, but mm. it's it's interesting. Yes. Let's have a look into it and see whether it goes anywhere. Mm. Um, how do you see uh, that relationship between the consulting world, the sort of commercial world, I suppose, and, and the academic world, and how, whether we should be doing anything different to, to foster the uh, collaboration between the two? Yes, I think um, one, of the, one, of the, one of the challenges in the academic world is that the, uh, the funding streams mainly come through the major funding like ARC, mm. and that's really high level and I think a lot of the sort of research that's needed in the acoustic um, domain, um, there's scope for doing that, but there's also scope for more lower level applied acoustics. And it's quite difficult to get funding in the bigger funding agencies for that. And so then the other import are the, the students who are trying to do a master's or a PhD, and they have to have a research component, um, an academic research component in the outcome. So it's really hard for them to to focus on the outcome rather than the way of getting to what that outcome mm. is. So the role for um, the, uh, the consulting companies is the sponsored applied research, which might be smaller projects, yep. um, uh, but using the facilities and the resources of the, the academic environment to, 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 to assist. Yep. And I mean, just as an example, like the, uh, the AAS Education Grant allows a lot of prototype type research yep. uh, to see whether or little if, if a, re, a bigger research project can be broken into a number of components and allows one component to be done um, which there wouldn't be really an ability to to justify that particular study in any other way mm. Mm. yeah it's uh, i've been doing a project recently with a university 
and the way they look at it is very different to the way they're they're interested in well how how what are the funding paths and how do we put our applications together and all this sort of thing yeah, right yes, i just sort of go oh yes. can't we just get in and start yeah no, <laughs> yes it's exactly it's, right. it's um it's a it's a very sort of different set of hoops to to jump through that's right and from an academic point of view that's where i've been in a lucky position and i've been sort of just below the the bar in a couple of different places so i haven't had the same sort of pressures but from an academic's point of view, you have to publish papers. Yep. Um, and so you're really looking for the, the research component in, and simply doing a study which comes up with a product, um, which might be an interesting product, mm. but unless there's the innovation, unless there's something in yeah. original yep. on the way through that they can yep. write a research paper about, you know, that's not good value on their time. Yep. Um, so the, and the demands in, in the academic environment are getting higher and higher mm. in terms of the number of research publications per, per year yep. and not just research publications, but the quality of the research publications. Yep. Um, and this is a challenge that we have with Acoustics Australia. Mm. We made reference to that earlier on in that, um, we have an impact rating, but it's on the lower, the lower quartiles. Mm -hmm. And so the, um, we're certainly getting a lot of submissions, but they're not. There's not that many from Australian researchers mm. who are in the academic environment yep. because they will they will be encouraged to submit their their manuscripts to a a journal which has a which is higher up on the quartile range. Yeah, and it's a sort of a catch twenty two because unless you get good articles yeah. that are going to be cited, that are going to be referenced by other researchers, you're not going to really ramp up the up the scale so. Mm. so is there something that um the australian sort of acoustic community should be doing in terms of the journal because you, you're edit, yes edit, yes i'm of. the editor and um next year con Dunn will take on the chief editor and i'll sort of move into the um, secondary role so that, that's it's a very like just today i was looking we've had a we're we're halfway through november we've had 158 submissions um, through this year. Mm -hmm. um, so each one of those has to be read and we mm. make a judgment about is it something that we want to continue on with or should we reject it straight away and if it is something that we want to continue on with, you know, where are we going to direct it to? Who are the reviewers um, that, are, that we're going to ask to, to review it? Um, and, then, and then it continues on from there. So there's a lot of work in it, but the, the bulk of them, I think so 95, 98% of them are from outside Australia or even outside Australasia. Mm. Um, it's people from the Asian environment um, who are quite desperate to get a publication yep. in an English language journal. Mm -hmm. But it, it puts a lot of effort in the editorial chain because the English expression is often quite, yeah. quite lacking. Yeah. So yeah, we have to try and, if it's technically correct, then we put the effort into trying to help them to improve their English expression. But you've got to be able to read it to find mm. out whether it's technically correct yeah, yeah, yeah. as well. Yeah. Given that, I mean, we're at the, the acoustics conference uh, mm -hmm. for the year and we've just had three days of two or three streams worth of papers. Yes. Um, should we be, should, should the authors here be turning more of their well, work into journal articles? Is, is yeah. that people just not, going that next step They're or not, not going that next step in fact what we do after each um, conference is we have a look through and think oh these ones here have got you know an interesting something original yep um and then pursue it with the authors mm. um, and sometimes the authors are very enthusiastic but then they 
particularly those who are in the consulting world, get <laughs> taken off on a side track like yep. a real job. Yep. And this gets put in the side, uh, the, you know, the to-do tray um, and it doesn't pursue it. So we've not had a lot of success with that. Um, we've had more success with some of them going into the forum, which is the the news and notes, which is the yep. shorter section. And the sort of non-peer-reviewed. Um, sort of, yeah, exactly. Yep. We just do a, a quick check of it to make sure. And in fact, they don't, very minimal change to a conference mm. paper. But there is a step between a conference paper and a journal article. Um, a journal article has to have, because of the, in order to maintain our ranking that we have got and to grow our ranking, yep. it has to have some original co uh, content in yep. it. It has to really be, and it's peer-reviewed, etc. So we send it to people from outside Australia or, or if they're experts in the field within Australia. Yep. So, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the um, the grants that are available through the AAS? Well, the grant, um, I think they're, to be honest, I haven't really been tracking it in the last year or so, but um, the education grant is, is just a small grant, like about 15,000. When I say small, um, it's still a very valuable grant because that mm. enables you to undertake a, a pilot study. Um, and then there's the opportunity for a more extensive grant, which um, means that there's more funding going towards uh, from the AAS, um, a greater expectation of an outcome from it. Um, I think it's quite difficult for the AAS to make a judgment um, on what, what studies are likely to have a valuable outcome. I think the education grant I think is good because that's a it's a nice role and the AAS um, assessment group can have a look at it and you know if it comes up with an outcome that can then be a, a stepping stone to a bigger project that's that's excellent. Um, a larger funding grants I think it's a lot harder um, for the AAS to really decide what what is a good mm. use of their money. Yep. Um, so uh, you just have a little bit of a concern about that side. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. With um, with your work in consulting, um, well, actually, let me go back a step. It, so you had physics, EBS, which was really sort of building, testing, testing and, mm -hmm. um, and then architecture mm -hmm. uh, department, which was teaching and. And then some research, yes. Uh, but your primary work now is about environmental acoustics, yes, rather than the built environment, which which Correct. seems to be covered by the the first yes. part of your career. How how did that um, it's been change a few come apart? It's a few decades, <laughs> and it just happens to be as as the opportunities arose, and as I mentioned, the move to move to Canberra was. Um, I was then nested within a, a school of mechanical engineering, um, and we were not. We didn't really have the facilities to do anything in building materials. Um, so the uh, the environmental there was a great demand in the area for environmental noise. It was the time when ACT was really establishing its um, environmental noise limits, etc. And there were new activities being um, commenced. Uh, for example, outdoor sound concerts. One. Mm -hmm. um, also, the change of the ACT in terms of the um, the built environment in regard to the move away from residential areas, but the but the greater number of apartments being in the city and that becoming a a destination of choice for people who had lived out in the out in the suburbs. So yeah. they lived out in the suburbs, 
they then move into apartment closer to the city or a townhouse close to the city and then they're concerned about the noise. So all of those issues were coming up and that's why um, I found it quite interesting to move into the environmental noise space, but more in terms of the, um, had the opportunity to do a lot of measurements, um, but also to get involved with the policy development, which was really good because the ACT government grouping were quite open to having advice from, from whoever was available in Canberra at that time. Mm -hmm. um, and so that led to quite a few discussions and quite a few involvements and, uh, and also just doing the, uh, the short course teaching, which was uh, increasing the, the skills knowledge of the people who were working in the various government agencies. Yep. Um, and that's something I really quite enjoy is the short courses. So I do quite a few of those in, in the consulting, the general consulting area. Yep. Um, yep. To sometimes to, to government agencies or to, um, and then in defence with the workplace noise. So it's been an ongoing activity there yeah uh, and again that's been uh that's been very rewarding doing short courses because you go in and do the short course in about three days and you, you're focused on it and the people who are participating are mature people who know they need to know it yeah yeah um and so they're quite <laughs> probably diff different um, group to the to undergraduates the uh... absolutely yes and even uh from I mean, you referred to architecture and architecture you know you go into the classroom and they sort of you know look or like architects, they'd rather be, be drawing and creating than sort of learning about physics of sound. Yep. Um, and then you go to the mechanical engineering students and all they want to do is to, you know, they want the equations and the, the yep. models and, and, you know, the whole the, the, the subjective sides of it are of less interest to you. So you have to adjust, adjust and make you make the whole picture of interest to the particular target group that you're dealing with. Um, it obviously must suit suit your interest and your temperament because you you seem to you straddle both those worlds of the yeah. uh, the numbers the, the the physics side and the and the um the less sort of um mm -hmm. tangible uh, aspects of it yes yes no i i do find that interesting and as i say i have to try and i find that with teaching you can't have your notes all prepared and just go in and you know press the button and give them you have to adjust them for the for the particular group and, and yep. try and make it interesting and and really pull out of the the material, the basic material you've got, what you think is really relevant um, for that particular group. Um, you're, you're obviously a people person too, because yeah, you, yes, <laughs> it seems, yes. seems like all of your yes. work seems to go into to yeah. interacting with people and, on yeah. one level yes. or another. And I've been very fortunate. I think it's a lot of it's the timing in that um, I've been able to and had the opportunities to do the travel to the international um, conferences and and then the participation as the Australian representative in the yep. international organisations, which I found very rewarding. And well. you've been involved in quite a few of those, the um, Institute for Noise Control Engineering That's and right. the uh, uh, International Commission for Acoustics. That's right, yes. Talk yeah. a little bit about how you got involved with those from an Australian perspective. and, and... Well, both of those organisations try to have a balance in their board in that they try to have participation from the three um, regions, the yep. Asia Pacific and the European and the, the US. And the, the one that's probably strongest in maintaining that is the International Commission for Acoustics. And that was the one I, I first got um, primarily involved with. And it, it came through from the bid for the ICA Congress in Sydney in 2010. Mm -hmm. And so I had to go to the meetings and then one thing led to the other and then I became one of the three representatives from Asia Pacific. And uh, then I continued on and became the president. They also try to rotate the president around the three yeah, regions yeah. as well. So yeah. 
uh, you know, being a, a female English speaking person from Asia Pacific, yep. it was, a, <laughs> you know, I'm not, you know, it, it was something that, that happened. Um, and then, so that was one. And then, then around about the same time, the involvement with the, um, the IINS, uh, International Institute for Noise Control Engineering. And then we had the Internoise Congress in Melbourne mm-hmm. in 2014. Yep. And so I was more involved with the International Institute at that time. Yep. And that then continued on. So the timing is, is really quite good because I'm the past, past president of one and the past president of another. So, you know, in the next three or four years, it's sort of I, I drop out of both of them. And I think that's good timing <laughs> and that's the time for me to, to well and truly step back. So, But it's been a very interesting experience over the years and working with, with different boards and seeing the, um, uh, the work that they do um, and the, the motivation that, that people have to try and increase the, the knowledge and the understanding of the whole area of acoustics. Um, the International Commission for Acoustics covers all areas of acoustics, whereas the noise control one is much more on the engineering mm. noise control. Um, but also the environment is very important there. So it's not all mechanical noise control. It's actually understanding the environment and understanding what needs to be done and, and, and ensuring that guidelines, etc., are established at a reasonable level and then making sure that you're controlling the noise to, to meet those levels. But I found it really, really interesting and, and very exciting. Um, and I've just been fortunate to be in the opportunity to, to be able to, uh, to participate in it. And I think that um, it, it happened at the right time in my career, that I had the time and being you know, retired officially, um, having the flexibility to be able to do these sorts of things, which yeah. not many other people really, really do have. Yeah. What, what's been your, I mean, you've got a perspective as, as the editor of the, the journal and, mm-hmm. and as well as being president and involved with, with some of these other yeah. organisations on an international level. Um, what's your perspective in terms of acoustics in Australia and how that sits with the way that the acoustics professional, the acoustic science sits in sort of those other parts of the world? Yeah, I, I think... Um... I think where where it fits in the bigger picture in each region is quite similar, but because we're on a much smaller scale in Australia, I think that we have very limited, well, particularly on the educational side, mm. that's one of the saddest things in that there there's not enough um, enough groups that have the momentum. There are some, there are some groups in in the on the educational side and the have quite good um, acoustic research projects and they have nice sized groups, uh, but it's it's quite difficult to do, to have the scope that you have, mm. or the breadth of it that you have, in the, particularly in the European context or in the, U, uh, the US context, or even for our Asian neighbors like in Japan and mm. China. Um, so it's, I think it's more of a struggle in Australia. It's yep. a struggle to get the research funding. It's a struggle to have the interaction. And the other struggle is the fact that we are remote from where you might want to be cooperating, collaborating yeah. uh, with researchers. So any travel from Australia to Europe is, or to America, it's a, big, it's a, it's a yeah. cost. It's not just the air travel. That, that component is coming down and down. But yeah. it's you know, the fact that you've got to get there a few days beforehand. You can't just jump on a train, go there, have your meeting, and jump on yeah. a train, come back, yeah. Yeah. which is what they can do in bigger collaborations in, yeah. in Europe. And 
to a lesser extent in, in the States, but they just jump on a plane and there'll be a plane going back at the end of the day. Do you think the technology, the change in terms of, you know, oh. being able to video conference with people and exchange large amounts of data, Yes. Is, is that, uh, one is that... would hope that I think that certainly happens once you've actually got the collaboration happening yep. and you've got the project going, yep. then video conferencing on a weekly or a fortnightly basis certainly um, is, is the way to go. But in order to actually find the right collaborators, it's really hard to do that from a video conferencing. If you have all your conference, yeah. all your international congresses become a video congress. It doesn't um, replace the face-to-face, -face, the, the coffee in the, the hallway. And, and the, you know, you yeah. hear some, somebody, you happen to be there in that room and then you see that yeah. person who makes a comment and then you follow, pursue it and you find out something that you would never have imagined that mm. person has that expertise or that experience in yeah. and that can then, or that interest in. Um, so there, there's still a place, despite the, um, the concern about all the air miles that get involved, um, there's still a place for um, having the international congresses and pe yeah. people from Australia travelling to, to meetings in other. I do think there are probably too many um, in that it's become a, uh, you know, if you, if you look, there's an opportunity to, to go to two or three congresses in any one year, yeah. sort of in the middle months of the year. There's a very um, full calendar of UC conferences around the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you also uh, administer or um, sort of oversee the diploma yes, course that's in right. acoustics. Can you, can you talk a little so bit about was, that and what that involves? <clears throat> that was started up uh, going back to the, the education component, the fact that um, it was really came out of the, the AAAC, the Acoustic yep. Consulting um, Organisation, in that... Um, there are plenty of bright young mechanical engineers and phys physics graduates and even architecture design graduates um, that would be uh, would be attracted to a, a consulting company, mm. but needed to get them up to scratch quite quickly in yeah. in the acoustics area because any of those programs it just so happens if you do mechanical engineering at some universities you get something on noise and vibration at other places you get something on vibration yeah very little yeah. on noise. And normally only one or two subjects. Indeed, yeah. indeed. So um, the, but the idea, there has been, like at the University of New South Wales under Anita Lawrence's days, there was a graduate program in, in acoustics, then became a Master of Science Acoustics. But you need, the universities need a certain cohort number to run a program like that. And that would only be in one, one city, it would be in yep. Sydney. Yep. And the consulting company said, well, we can't do that. So that it's, the uh, the brief was a, a program that could allow for flexibility that people would start and stop at any time um, and they could take as long as was really necessary although there were some small pressures on them to try and finish it in the minimum amount of time um, but that had some rigor in it so that it would provide a basis for somebody who might complete that to then think about continuing on and doing a master's or a, mm -hmm. a legitimate degree so we looked around and the Institute of Acoustics model seemed to be the best model, um, yep. but uh, the, other, the other component was it had to be distance learning. That's right, yep. it was all distance learning. Um, so that seemed to be a good model, but that's kind of still tapered to certain time slots and people had to actually go to a central area to do their um, experimental work, which wasn't going to work in Australia. So we modified that. We took the first module. We had great support from the Institute of Acoustics in the UK. They were mm -hmm. very helpful. 
in setting up the framework for this uh, program. Um, they shared the notes for the first module, the general principles of acoustics. And there are multiple modules. That's it's right. A, sort of, it's a five modules. Five right. modules. So the yep. first one is general principles of acoustics. It gives a broad brush across all the topics, which really gets people up to up to speed on a whole lot of different areas. Um, so then, and then they become the specialist one. There's one on um, acoustic measurements, on room and building acoustics, on environmental acoustics, and there's the long-awaited one on vibration. Soon to be, soon to updates soon to be released. Uh, updates soon to be released. <laughs> yes, I think I think the. Uh, consultants who were involved with producing that now appreciate how difficult, how difficult it is to yeah. put notes together. Yeah. Um, so the um, the general principles of acoustics, however, has been very successful. So we we run it through the short course program because that's the only way we can run it and have the flexibility to allow people to start or stop at any time, and also to come into it with with a very diverse um, educa education background. Yeah. Education. We've had somebody come in who was originally a. a an actual person who worked in the workshop on the workshop floor, Peter mm -hmm. and Turner type person, yep. and he'd sort of kind of had a sound level meter, and one thing led to the other, and he always had an interest in the maths anyway. Yep. And and he actually successfully completed it. We've also had people from environmental science programs come yep. in and do it because they really haven't had enough on acoustics yeah. in the environmental science program, um, as well as uh, people from the typically the bulk of them from engineering background. Yeah. But it's been quite appealing because I've got some registrants from, so, sorry, stepping back. So it's actually getting the notes together was one part of the challenge, but actually running it is another part of the challenge yep. because being completely flexible, people will submit their assignments at Whenever. any time. Um, <laughs> and also a, a lot of these distance learning programs um, continually contact the students and say, you know, remember you've got to do this. And, I decided at the beginning I wasn't going to do that. Yep. So it's up to the motivation of the individual. And I often have people that, like two years later, they'll say, hey, you know, I did register in this two years ago. Um, I've now actually got some time to continue yeah. on and I've still got the notes here and they're sitting here and, you know, can I? Can I? And yeah. I say, sure, you yeah, know, yeah. just send me in your assignment. So, so there's none of that um, uh, follow-up or which can become quite annoying on other sorts of um, programs. So it's up to completely up to the individual. So the number of people who enrol in the grad in the uh, the first module, probably around about thirty per year, yep. which is quite high. But of those, only probably about five will finish in the year. Mm. Um, there'll be another five or ten percent that will finish um, in the next eighteen months or so. Yep. And then I have done some checks back on some people and said, oh, you know, you, you expressed great interest when you started and what's <laughs> happened. And they said, look, I really found the notes interesting. And they might have submitted one or two of the assignments. They might have done the measuring exercise, which yeah. is designed to be able to be done with minimal equipment. Yeah. Um, and, but they said, oh, you know, I just, I don't need to do any more. I, yeah. I don't want to do the, I don't need to go and yeah. do the study and, and sit through the exam because that one has, the, has a test in it because we needed to have that yeah. rigor in it. Yep. Um, so and uh, so the that first module has been the main module, and then we might get like five registrants in the other modules, um, maybe in a good year, maybe yep. fewer than that. Yep. Um, it just really depends. One year you might get six or eight, so it's very very variable. So a commercial organisation wouldn't be able to run it because mm. you can't run a distance learning program on five or six re yeah. registrants per year. Yeah. Um, so it's a um, you know, I think it. I'm quite interested in, in doing it and I'm quite motivated to keep it going from that point of view. 
Um, and I imagine that somebody else who's in my position when I finally do retire um, will take it on with that same momentum. Yeah. But it's it's not it's not intended, nor could it ever continue to run as a as a fully commercial viable because yeah. there's just not enough people at yeah, the outset. Yeah, it's not a quantum. Um, there is scope for growth internationally because I have people from Turkey and from uh, South Africa mm-hmm. and from. Uh, well, I've had a few, a number of interests, and one or two of them have enrolled from the Middle East, yep. Iran, and places like yep. that. So, and is it open to people it's outside open of to Australia? Anybody. Yeah. That's right. Although I do say that any of the references to standards and to building materials and techniques Australian are specific. Australian yep. specific. Yep. The thing I really like about that course, there's two things I really like about it from a, I guess, from a consultant's perspective. Yeah. One is that it's it's very consulting focus so it's it's um it's academically rigorous but it's it's channeled towards doing this as a practical sort of um outcome Mm -hmm. um and the other thing is that the fees are quite low compared to any of the other um sort of um higher education you can do around acoustics a lot of the you know if you if you get into a master's program or or something at one of the universities you're looking at tens if not hundreds of thousands of dollars and and the yes i I think the the diplomas at you know a a few thousand dollars um if you did every module if you did every module modules less than a thousand um and and the other okay three things i really like Mm. is that because it's self driven Yes. You have to be self-motivated. It means that if someone comes to you and they say, I've done this diploma, yes. they've done it off their own bat. Indeed. They must really be interested mm-hmm. and really motivated and really want to do this thing. Mm. Um, that's right. And that's so I'm always, always see it as a very high um, qualification when people come with it because yes. it, it shows a great sort of level of initiative. Indeed. And I also have a number of people who are transitioning across from the audio engineering area. Yep. They've got come into it from audio engineering, so they have an understanding of sound, but then they realise that if they want to get into acoustic consulting, mainly because they say it's antisocial hours in audio engineering, yeah. and there's not a lot yeah, of money yeah. in audio engineering. It's not a great family-friendly... Uh, no, and so they're quite, they're quite interested to broaden their, their knowledge um, and their opportun- their workplace opportunities. Um, and they seem to they seem to be really they really find it interesting because they already have an understanding generally of acoustics, yep. but they don't know anything about you know, L10s and L90s, and you know, they know about C weighting and A weighting, yep. um, and they know about the room, but then workplace noise exposure and uh, vibration. So those those people really do do um, <laughs> a bit of noise <laughs> controlling here. Yeah. And those sort of people do really seem to, to gain a lot from yep. doing the program. And then that positions them very well when they go to a consulting company mm. to applying for a job. Yes. Mm. Um, or even to a government agency as well. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. yes. The, the other thing I guess you would have a, a good perspective on is the mix of students and the type of students going into acoustics type courses because you've got a you've got several decades now of sort of seeing those cohorts come through what what do you think of um the type of uh, and i i i guess one interest is in gender diversity as to whether that's um we're seeing more women sort of i think there always have been quite a few women in yeah i mean even when i when i started there always were 
other females in the room. Yes. I never felt like I was, uh, you know, the one female there. Yeah. Um, so I didn't think that was because there was the interest from the architecture side, yeah. the design side. There was always that, yep. that mix in the early days. Um, I think, you know, I think a lot of the people that are coming into it now are very clever. They're very quick. Uh, they're quick to catch on to things. Um, but I, I do worry whether they've got a depth of understanding because everything is done so much more easily these days with yeah. modelling and. You know, they just, the meters are so, you don't have to think too much no. about the meter. You press the button and it comes up with a number. Yep. And, you know, no, it doesn't come up with a number. It comes up with about 35 numbers. 35 numbers and which is the right number. And, yeah. and, you know, it'll come up with a couple of decimal points. And so then they make a big deal about this being half a dB different to yep. this. And you yep. say, well, st just step back and think about yep. it. Whereas in the past, you there was a lot more effort. You even had to to have a judgment of what the range of your sound was going to be. Mm. You have an analog meter that was yep. high because you only had like a, a 30 dB dynamic range. And now yep. you don't have to worry about that. And you, you know, you put loggers out on site and you look at the data and you correlate it against the, the, um, the, the atmospheric information. Yep. Yep. Um, and that's about, you know, therefore what's left must be really the noise. Yes. And you say, oh, hang on, there's a did, lot of other things that did, can happen. Did, did, did you stick it next to the air conditioner yeah, uh, when you exactly, went to Exactly, exactly. And what happened while you went there and that type of thing? Have you thought about all of these? And that, that sense of, you know, does this look right? I think that's yeah. what we had a much better gain of. Feel. You know, does this look right? And, and yeah. question this and, you know, put ticks in all the other places. That all looks all right. And then question one, where is that? there's a greater sense of belief in what comes out of the modeling program and what comes out of the directly out of the instrumentation. I think when you get less data, uh, you have to, you have to rely on that, you know, back of the envelope yes, calculation. Does it, does it pass the, mm. you know, the logic yes, test? Yes. Um, but when you've got models that will calculate 10,000 points for you in, yes. you know, yes. five minutes, um, yes. A lot of people just say, oh, well, the computer says the answer is 35, so yeah. that's the answer. <laughs> it must be, yes. Oh, I don't, I don't think that's right. <laughs> <laughs> just think about it. How could it be that Do you low? think that's right? <laughs> no, probably not. No. no. Yes. Um, and going back to the Institute of Acoustics program that we based our um, distance learning program on, the first assignment in the general principles of acoustics, and I tell the students this is the hardest assignment, actually take them back to first principles. They have to work out the propagation of the sound yeah. from, a, from a building, you know, across a distance, and then they have to think about the directivity of the building and, and all that type of thing. And then I say to them after, this is the last time you're going to have to do it like this from, <laughs> you know, we get sound power radiated from the surface and all that yeah. type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I said, you know, from now on, you'll be putting it into a into some sort of a software program, but it's very good for you to realise to, understand the to principles. get some sensitive some some feel for what the sensitivity, sensitivity. of yeah. these different numbers are. Yeah. And similarly with um, in the room building acoustics we have a, an air conditioning calculation where they have to go through and they have to give the numbers at different spots. Yep. Um, and uh, you know, it, I think it helps them to realise, you know, which are the really important things that you've got to be accurate about and which yep. are the other parts well you know, you can have, there's a bit more tolerance there's here because in the yeah. final answer, this, this component is not the most you can, critical You can double component. that component and it makes very little difference exactly, to the answer. Exactly, like yeah. a fraction of a difference. Yeah. Yeah. And not argue yeah. about 0 0.05 of a decibel. No, no. Whereas if without that experience, um, you know, you, t you tend to think that everything is really critical on the way through. Yeah. 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 Now, I suspect we could probably talk all day, but um, we've got other, other papers to go and see. Yes. But... Okay. Um, you are 
you're, you're officially retired. Oh, yeah, but you, I am. But you, but I am. <laughs> I, I, retirement do, do, doesn't, doesn't exist in my dictionary. No, I haven't found the dictionary that has that word. Doesn't look it. like uh, doesn't look like you retired from the uh, from the outside no, world. No, um, no. What do you um, What do you want to do? Is there anything left that uh, you particularly want to do, or you, or you just? I, I, I guess I, I know this is going to sound terrible because people are meant to know what they're going to do in the next five years. I've never actually worked that way. It doesn't I've sound like your career has unfolded that way. You know, if you'd asked me. 20 years ago, Marion, where would you like to be in 20 years' time? I would never have, I would have said something, but I would yeah. never have said where I am now. Yeah. So I, I'm always, I'm a firm believer in, in just making the most of the opportunities as mm. it arrives. Um, it sounds yeah. like you have been presented with various opportunities throughout your career. That's right, and, and you have to select. I mean, if you're provided yeah. with multiple opportunities, you have to select the ones you think are uh, going to be of most interest to you. And if they're of most interest to you, then you're going to apply yourself more to them, and then you're going to have a better yep. achievement and, and have a better outcome. At the so you followed end. your interests as much as anything in terms Indeed. of principle in about how sense, to pick your those. feeling yeah. about whether you really want to do that yeah. or whether you don't. Um, so I, I've sort of been in that very fortunate position yeah. um, as the years have gone by. And I've, I've never had a job that I haven't liked, haven't enjoyed, um, which is also a very nice thing to be able to say. Yeah. Mind you, there's some administration stuff that I don't like doing and I don't do it very well and I know I don't do it very well but I have to do it and I think it's very good for the soul to do a few things that you don't like doing but yep. um, but all the other stuff is, is always very good. Mm. Well thank you very much for your time Mary. You're welcome, thank you. It's been lovely talking with you. Well I hope you enjoyed uh, that conversation with Marion. Uh, you can find out some more about her research and about her work um, either through the University of New South Wales uh, webpage, unsw.edu.au, uh, or via the uh, Acoustics uh, Journal, which you'll find through the Australian Acoustical Society website at acoustics.asn.au. Uh, for more information on uh, Talking Acoustics, uh, you can check out talkingacoustics.com. Thanks for listening.